This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts, you can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, the Braves have scored 4,800 runs since opening day. They beat the Nats again this afternoon. Mike Voltnevich was really good again. Uh, Liverpool beat Man City three to nothing. So. For me, everything is good right now. However, Dan Favalli is here to talk about why everything is not good for a bunch of NBA teams right now. What's up, Chase? I didn't actually lead into like a question or like, here's Dan Favalli. You can just jump in. Yeah, that was just open-ended. That was a horrible hosting job by me. But um... I was hesitant for a second. <laughs> I, th- I thought something was coming. I was like, all right, I'm just going to cannonball into this. I don't know. I just wanted to rattle that off. And I, I don't Yeah. Oh, well, you win some, you lose some. But anyway, Dan Favalli is here, and he is the deputy editor at NBAMath.com, a site that I loved this article. I don't remember who wrote it. You can probably uh, be you, – you'll, you'll probably know who it was, but it was on Denzel Valentine, who has been my dude for years now, and just how good he's been since January 1st for the Bulls, and just how sneaky, efficient he is, and how good he is coming off dribble handoffs, and that he's actually really good at finding ways into the paint now, but he all t- – defenders no longer go under screens with him because he's torching him from deep um and there was a sneaky comparison in there which was like he might be a young iguodala and i am completely here for it because i could 100 percent see the bulls just like sending him to the warriors after they've moved on from iguodala and he just takes that role so kind of like the jordan bell thing but on a bigger scale Yes, that is uh, our Adam Spinella, who is fantastic. He's a college basketball coach. So if he says Denzel Valentine might be the next Andre Godala, you might as well just book it. Book it now. I'm here for it, man. He's fun. I, I love watching him, and I'm glad that he's finally getting some run. Because he was like, people were really down on him because I think he was an older player when he got into the league. Wasn't he at Michigan State for several years before he came out? And 
um, he d- he was kind of buried in the rotation. He was playing behind the Wade Rondo stuff and everything. And now Hoiberg's doing his own thing, and it looks good. And he just works on his team, man. Like he is a legitimate guy on the wing that I I really love watching. Let's hope uh, they don't give too many of his minutes away to Zach Levine in the future. The Bulls just backcourt and their fringe wing spots are just a mess. Yeah. I don't know about the Zach Levine stuff. And I think he could probably still play next to Zach, even though I'm not certain what that defense looks like um, per hundred possessions, if those two are your wing defenders. But, <laughs> uh, probably not great. But I also am not 100% certain that Zach Levine is going to be a bull next year. So maybe they don't have to worry about that at all. Yeah, I, that I mean, that that's just a whole different conversation. Like all these weird restricted free agents this year who either aren't worth what they're going to get paid, like Aaron Gordon, or how much do you pay these guys like Parker and Levine who are coming off of injuries? And if you give them big money offers, will their incumbent teams match? It, it's going to be really fascinating. So early predictions, I don't think the Magic are matching Aaron Gordon, whatever he gets, because I think he's actually going to get an outrageous offer from somebody, because I still believe in Aaron Gordon, and I will not forget those first two weeks of the NBA season this year where he was shooting like 45% from three and everything. I still like Aaron Gordon, and I think if he goes to the right team, he could really turn into something really fun, like a poor man's Blake Griffin. It would not surprise me at all. I'm I'm just not, after watching him try and do some work off the dribble this year, maybe maybe he gets there, but I can't. I just can't see it. But you're right. I think he's going to be, when you look at this free agent market and how basically, I would say two-thirds of the league isn't going to have any substantial cap space, he's probably the closest thing the market will get to like the Otto Porter guy who probably isn't a max guy, but someone's going to give him a max contract anyway, like the Nets did and the Wizards might match. I don't know what the Magic will do. They probably shouldn't match, but I think they're desperate to say that they have a cornerstone so that they actually probably will match no matter how much money he gets. I would say maybe if Rob Hennigan was still running them, but now that you have a different uh, front office group and I think T-Mac's even involved there now, right? Like I just... I think they're going to fire the coach and Frank Vogel, who, by the way, came out this week saying that he was surprised he didn't get the Knicks job when it went to Hornets a couple years ago. I said on this podcast last week before it came out that my prediction was because there's been rumblings of the Mark Jackson thing and Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is not coming to New York. That's not happening. And I hate that this is becoming a talking point again. Like that dude is not leaving the Clippers for the Knicks. It's not happening. Wouldn't it be so Knicks, though, to give up a draft pick? to oh get Doc Rivers. <laughs> it would be very Nick. So I guess you can't rule it out, but no, I don't think that's happening. I love the sneaky Berman point of like the relationship between Steve Mills and David Blatt, because I am 1000% here for David Blatt being back in the NBA and coaching the Knicks and dealing with the New York media. Incredible. 100% here for that. Fighter pilot, Dave. Oh my God. Um, no, it's not going to be him. It's not going to be Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson would have already got another job if he was going to get back in the league at this point i think i think that ship has sailed i could see him getting a college job like mark jackson becoming like the next um who would make sense for him like pepperdine i could see him <laughs> being the next pepperdine coach <laughs> I, I don't he's not getting another nba job it's not happening so then that leaves guess what oh frank vogel who i said in the podcast i'm like they're gonna hire frank vogel that's who that's what it's gonna be it's Frank Vogel. He is the next Knicks head coach. Write it down. It's done deal. Done. It would be, I mean, he would be, I think he'd be an upgrade 
over Hornacek, not offensively, because I, I'm i trying to think of who's the last coach, creative offensive coach the Knicks had, and I guess it would be Mike D'Antoni. I think, but this just applies to everyone. You could say Phoenix, you could say Milwaukee, where this guy will probably end up, but David Fisdale would be a good fit for New York. But again, he fits so many places. And he could just get a better job. He he doesn't need to go to New York. He can go somewhere else and win. Like, I want him in Milwaukee. I want him with Giannis. That's ultimately what I, I feel like he's there already. I have no inside sources on this, but I just feel as soon as he was fired, and I, I talked about this on my own podcast, selfless plug there, but Andrew Bailey and I were just like, David Fisdale is going to be coaching the Bucks next year. And then da- then Jason Kidd gets fired, and it's like, yep, David Fisdale is going to be coaching the Bucks next year. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. Hopefully, that's like one of those things where like both sides, we have all acknowledged, like all sports fans rarely agree on like one thing, but I think every NBA guy is just like, yeah, why? That should, that's just a thing that should happen. Why do we need to overthink this? Fisdale, just take the Milwaukee job. That's just do it. Yeah, we'll see if the, let's see if the front office is uh, smart enough to go there. It would be, it would be something if Mark Jackson's name ends up in the ring for that job that would be just like oh bye Giannis in 2020 or whenever he's you know who's not taking that job who's Chris that Van Gundy <laughs> can I just say um I'm about to curse here that fucking pisses me off that that still pops up in every story of just like superstar player in the front office that is looking to make a splash or the big name hire Jeff Van Gundy is going to be one of their targets the only team that I realistically bought in that like would ever be able to pull him away from his Houston life and his just his broadcast life and everything else where he's just really comfortable is the city that he lives in that has two superstars. That made sense. Him getting a finalist position with the Rockets before they ultimately went with D'Antoni made sense to me. I could have seen him taking that job. He is not going to Milwaukee at this point in his life. It's not happening. Yeah, I just I couldn't see him doing it. It is still you you have to give his reputation or Van Gundy credit just for still being mentioned in every single coaching search that is semi high profile. You know, we won't see his name linked to the Phoenix Suns, but because it's Milwaukee and Giannis sure is about there, that? I don't you know, think I'm not. I, <laughs> Sarver, you're going to see like a azcentral.com report that Sarver is tired of going with the the internal candidates of like Jay Triano and the Earl Watsons and these uh, interim coaches that keep getting promoted after the main coach gets fired, that he's looking to make a big splash they can have for 10 years would not surprise me if we see that story. Nope. It's possible. I still kind of feel like almost Jason kids going to end up there for some reason. He's already back in Does Arizona. I believe. In- Does he get three NBA jobs at this point? That's kind of insane. I could see him getting uh, if it was a. I could see the Suns giving him a chance. I could. They might be the the only team, maybe. And if not, then he he might have to work his way through the coaching ranks more genuinely, like as an assistant coach or maybe oh, from the GP. I know where he's going. Where's that? He's gonna he's gonna be the next coach of Cal. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I just won't. I, there's gonna they be have a good NBA pipeline. They got Jalen Brown coming out of there recently. Um, he went to Cal. I, I think. Hey, I think it's a thing. There you go. Jason Kidd, Golden Bear, 2021. Because I think they promoted uh, somebody from within. And I don't think they had a good year because I don't think they made the tournament or anything. And they have an 80 um, department issue. I remember reading a big story on like how much money they're in the hole and like just the situation with their debt and everything at Berkeley. But uh, I could 100% see them going the splashy like Jason Kidd route. I don't think he's getting another NBA job anytime soon either. I I go if he was going to get one, it would be the Suns, I think. But we'll I mean we'll see there. Oh God. 
Um, poor Phoenix fans. Uh, who? Great news, by the way. Devin Booker, uh, basically hinting at the strong possibility that he's not going to sign an extension with Phoenix next year. I thought it was the other way around. Didn't he basically say he would sign a, a no, max I extension? Was, I thought it was he's like a little nervous about it. I, I've if we're th- if we're talking about the same comments, it seems like it would probably be a done done de- to me, assuming they they offer it. Just because that's a that's a lot yeah. of money for him to turn down. So he said, uh, he hints at future decision. Uh, he less bullish. That's what it was. They were like, he's less bullish on doing it. I mean, I because know. he'll be on his fourth head coach next season, assuming Triano doesn't stick around. So I could see why he'd be hesitant. But they're gonna put, you know, if it's a hundred and his, his extension is gonna kick in the season after next, when the cap's gonna be one hundred eight million dollars. So we're talking about a, almost a twenty eight million dollars starting salary. Once it kicks in, I, I just don't see him, you know, maybe he gets that from another team on the open market, but I wouldn't, if I were him, I, I wouldn't be risking injury. And and so often these guys who are going to be restricted free agents, they just, they sign the extension and they worry about choosing their own destiny when they're going for their third contract four or five years down the line. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So one of the things that I wanted to touch on today, we, we just, you're familiar with this situation. I love the situation. It's baffling everybody. And it's that Kawhi Leonard very well might be traded. Like the way Zach Lowe, I think, phrased it was like the vultures are circling this offseason. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I kind of feel bad because it's just like if the Spurs can't even get it right, where you kind of think, I'm thinking a couple years down the road where it's like, even if you have a good organization, you have a good incubator, like you do everything you can to appease a superstar talent and you're in a small market, like if the Spurs can't even keep these guys and just like how many layers and how complicated these relationships are i think is the biggest thing because obviously it's not a winning situation issue it's not a him being treated the right way issue it's like there's just something else entirely it's kind of like markel fultz with the um other shooting coach you know where the sixers are kind of like uh, that whole story shout out to kyle newbeck who broke that story um just kind of like these superstars just have a lot of different people involved in their life and it's hard for an outside observer to really know what's going on behind the scenes and just like the disconnect between like teams and like a, a superstar's circle um, and just how pivotal that uh, relationship is and to be able to um, re- trust each other and work with each other. And if that breaks down, it seems like it is not ever going to really benefit the team right like this is seems like one of those things where like you have the shoe deal that's going on there and just all these outside non-basketball related things um that are just pushing this in a certain way and i just i i feel bad but at the same time like i am 1000 percent here for a summer of Kawhi trade speculation it's so bizarre that not only is something like this happening to the Spurs, who we just consider like the billboard for basically everything that's right with NBA team culture, but it's happening with Kawhi Leonard, who you would think would be the least likely superstar to really butt heads with his organization because he's so quiet. He's already won a title there. And this would basically be the second summer of Spurs drama, too, because LaMarcus Aldridge wanted out and they were they ended up signing him to an extension. Maybe the same thing happens with Kawhi Leonard, but I'm here for it too. I just, it was easy to dismiss when that initial report came out from ESPN.com in January, like, oh yeah, you know, whatever. But now there's just been 
so much smoke that there are flames somewhere. We've just heard too much about this. Too many legitimate sources have come out or too many legitimate reporters have come out and written about this. And I honestly, if you would have asked me maybe even a month ago how this ends, I would say Kawhi Leonard doesn't go anywhere. But now I just honestly don't know because if he doesn't play again this season and you're the Spurs, how do you give him that five-year designated player extension? And if you don't give it to him, is that just going to rub him the wrong way even further because he has to requalify to get it again next summer? Like maybe this is being blown out of proportion to some extent, but when you have Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker kind of throwing shade on the record now, there's just something going on here. And if he is indeed available, whether or not they actually trade him, I'm so interested to see what the offers look like. Because yes, it's it's Kawhi Leonard. Yes, he's a top five player when healthy, but he wasn't healthy this season. And he's going to be a free agent in 2019. So why would you treat him differently than any other would-be expiring contract? You're not going to see teams go all in for him necessarily and mortgage the future maybe some will but the offers are going to be inherently tamped down because of his contract situation would you not mortgage the future for Kawhi? i to some extent i would especially especially if i'm a team that's not going to get him in free agency the suns we were just talking about them might be a good on my list yeah i have a list for you of all the different options that like i ranked them in order of like what made the most sense to me yeah, there, there are definitely – I actually just had a write about this before we hopped on here was just pretend what the trade packages would look like, and I think they vary, but a team like the Suns would be a good bet to to maybe go all in. Maybe they're willing to give up this year's first and Josh Jackson plus Dudley and Bender for, for Kawhi Leonard and Patty Mills. That's almost with exactly the deal. what I had for that. Yeah, so and I think that's a huge thing because I'm really high on Josh Jackson at this point. Like He's been really great down the stretch, and like um, I he looks – I don't think this is an outrageous comparison. He looks like a young Jimmy Butler to me right now. And if you get young Jimmy uh, in a San Antonio culture, I don't know. I could see it. I could see it working and him turning into the next Jimmy Butler on the Spurs. I always thought on the Spurs, well, that, all bets are off if he's there. I always, at when he first kind of entered uh, the NBA while he was still at Kansas, I kind of thought of him as like, just because I assumed we would always look at him. There's like playmaking on the offensive end, he can do some stuff off the bounce. Maybe he will eventually hit more threes. But I always thought we would he look at he has recently. Like yeah, he's been. I, I thought we. What it, I want to pull it up, but he's actually hitting like above thirty five percent from the last two months. I think I, his game log's crazy. I always thought we'd look at him though and be like, he should be more than he is, particularly on the offensive end. And so Chris Middleton was like my go to comparison for him, which would be like the archetype of a player you want, but who's certainly behind Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard and all them, but you put him in San Antonio, then yeah, he's probably just the next top 10 player in the NBA. Put him in their developmental machine. Yeah. And I just think it, uh, it'd be fun. That's one of my lists, but my number one team, and we've talked about this team already. I don't think it's crazy to do a Chris Tapps for Kawhi thing this summer. It wouldn't be, but what would that trade? I actually had talked about this the other night. It would, it would have to be Neil Aquina, Chris Stops, and this year's pick. You build the offer around, right? Yeah, and you do that if you're the Knicks. Like, I am not going to... Like, I understand people love Porzingis. He's coming off a torn ACL. He's already had to deal with, like, crazy Phil Jackson <laughs> shit in New York. Like, it's not like that relationship is perfect. And if I had to bet on one guy to carry my team to uh, a championship over the next five years, if it's Porzingis or Kawhi, it's Kawhi every time. I think we're, like, 
it it kind of reminds me of um, James Hollis like getting frustrated with the Jokic and DeMarcus Cousins uh, comparisons and like how close they are and everything else. I think it's similar with Kawhi and Porzingis. Like I love Porzingis, but anybody who would not take Kawhi Leonard for the next five to ten years over Porzingis, I, I don't really understand how you can make that case. I really don't. <laughs> If the Knicks were a team that you could count on to actually gradually rebuild, I get them saying no to a deal like that, but they're the Knicks, and looking at how they've always valued those sort of instant turnarounds, I wouldn't put it past them. I just, once you put Kawhi Leonard on there, and you still have Tim Hardaway Jr., and there's Noah, I, how do you build that team out is just the question for them. Like, Courtney Lee is good. You know, him and Kawhi Leonard would be a nice defensive tandem, but you won't have really a point guard unless you think Trey Burke or Emmanuel Moutier is the answer. So the the Knicks, I don't know if I would do it if I were them just because I think they should be looking more toward the future and flexibility, and, and Leonard compromises that unless you're also getting off Noah or Tim Hardaway Jr. But I think in a vacuum, that offer that you laid out, like that base of Neil Aquina, Porzingis, and this year's pick, Kawhi Leonard is, is certainly worth that. I, I'm that's where I'm at. I, I think it would be amazing. And then you get Porzingis in the Spurs and he'd be he'd be a lot of fun there. Nilakina, I think, would work great in San Antonio, but at the same time I don't know if you can keep DeJounte Murray at that point because those Oh, I think you together. can. Could you oh, imagine God. the could you imagine the defense with him? How Nilekina? long can they play though on the court together? Like what is the O rating for them together for hundred possessions like seventy three? <laughs> yeah, especially if you keep Danny Green that but that oh, defense would be I think incredible. Green's gone. Oh, another prediction. Danny Green's going to be a pacer next year. Whoa. I if if the Spurs let him go and that's assuming he opts out, which even if he doesn't think he's going to get 10 million on the open market and he very well could, uh I would think he would only leave if the Spurs are kind of pivoting into a rebuild because he'll be on the wrong side of 30 at that point, I believe. I just think he's too, you know, his shooting's always been up and down, but his defense is just so valuable when you look at who he guards. It's basically everyone from power forwards to point guards. And I think if they're trying to do anything in the near future, I'd, I'd want him on that roster. But if he was on the Pacers, they, they're probably a top four, top three team in the East if Victor Oladipo is going to play this way permanently. Yeah, and I like him playing off Oladipo. I think he works like Bog, Bojan. I always get Bojan, Bogdan. Bojan. It's Bojan, right? He's the one. No, wait. Is it Bogdan? No, it's Bojan. You got you it. Got is Bojan. Yeah. Okay, Bojan has been fine there, and I think the right thing to do with this Pacers team is surround uh, Oladipo with shooters, and I think that would work, and the spacing and everything else. I think they're a team that's like, they're not going to get the big-time free agent, but they could pry somebody like Danny Green with a bigger offer, I think, and then he would he mesh pretty well there, and I think it would be a pretty interesting fit. I don't understand the Heat stuff with Kawhi. Like, the Heat have... <laughs> no trade over- assets. <laughs> I, I, I guess the sell would be like get Winslow in San Antonio's culture and see what happens. But I think that ship sailed. It's sad to say, but I think the Justice Winslow could be a really good point forward who could eventually learn how to shoot and just be a tear on both ends of the floor. I think that's it's gone. I, I don't think it's going to happen. And if we're so into the Heat's ability to develop guys and rightfully so like they have been great at it like tyler johnson i mean goran Dragic has reached another level there and you have josh richardson who's really just turned into a, a really awesome player for them so they obviously their player development stuff is pretty great and if they can't get this out of justice Winslow, i think it's kind of um 
I I don't know. I don't really the, like it. Like I don't know who you send over there. I don't think the Spurs want any part of Whiteside. And no. I don't. I just. I mean, the Drogic <laughs> connection, I guess, is it because I think the Spurs originally drafted him. But I think this just doesn't make any sense. Like they just don't have the assets. Yeah, they. The Spurs would have to be really just invested in a like a win now package. You know, you could you could build something interesting that would keep them competitive by sending over two of. Goran Dragic, Olenek, and Josh Richardson. And I do think Justice Winslow holds value, and there still might be hope for him. He's shooting better than 40% from three since the All-Star break on almost three attempts from beyond the arc per game. My thing with him is you get him, and he's going to be a restricted free agent next summer, so then you have to pay him. And that's just, I don't, especially if he's going to be the centerpiece of the deal, it just harkens back to what the Bulls did kind of with Jimmy Butler, only it's worse because he's the only young player you're getting, how the Bulls got Levine and now they have to pay him. I, I don't think there is um, a deal there. And if, if the Spurs were going to kind of lean in to that package, like that win now package, I would think, and I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of changing the topic here, but like, what about Milwaukee? Like, mm-hmm. what, if, what if they offered... Uh, let's say Middleton, Brogdon, Thon, McCurr, Snell, and maybe a future first-round pick for Leonard and Patty Mills. That would be a deal from the Spurs I would consider, just because you're not you're getting finite upside in in Maker and Brogdon, but at the same time, what you'll pay Snell and then what you'll pay Brogdon and Middleton in free agency in 2019 combined, those three might cost less than what you're going to have to pay Kawhi Leonard in the first year of his next deal, like on an annual average salary. And that, that would just be interesting to me if you have to get rid of him anyway. It's interesting that you're combining the two because I don't have the Spurs on my Jabari list. And it's kind of amazing that Jabari is just kind of openly being like, yeah, this doesn't, hasn't really worked out. Probably not gonna, I, I don't really want to return. It kind of reminds me of like the Aaron Gordon, I mean, Aaron Gordon, Eric Gordon situation in um, New Orleans years ago. When he like really wanted to go to Phoenix, they were offering to pay him. He was still an intriguing guy at that point, and just he wanted to get out of there. Like it, he was just like, "This is not working." I like he got traded there in that uh, in the Chris Paul deal, and it just it did not work out, and he just wanted to go somewhere else. And they still had the RFA tag, so they locked him up. And they're like, "You're not going anywhere. You're staying in New Orleans." And I I think that might be what happens with Jabari because. I just, if you're the Bucks, I think you still have to match. So the only option is to sign and trade. And I don't know if ah, the Spurs are so weird. Um, For them, for Jabari specifically, like people throw out the Utah stuff, but Utah does have interesting pieces that they could throw towards Milwaukee. That would make sense to me. Uh, but my favorite is Orlando. Like, I think Jabari is like one of those guys. And this is why I've always thought that Wiggins would have been so much more fun in Orlando where he's just the guy and he can just be like T-Mac 2.0 where like they're not going to win any titles. It's not going to happen, but he could just be really fun and be a perpetual all-star and not be looked at as like, are you ever going to take that next leap? Because he's not on the defensive side of the ball. Like it's just probably not going to happen. So at that point, he's just really fun and Orlando would appreciate him. They'd never, they haven't had a star in years now, but you could do the same with Jabari where I think if, Orlando was able to do like Fournier and uh, Aaron Gordon and like a double signing trade of the RFA guys. But like you put Aaron Gordon with Giannis and those guys, like I think he is a lot more fun. And I think that's a really terrifying 
uh, defensive front court if you pair Giannis with Aaron Gordon. I don't know how the shooting works because that's still their biggest problem is they don't have a lot of shooters. But yeah, I kind of I really like the Orlando option for Jabari. I'd like to see him there, but at the same time, we don't know who their coach is going to be next year. We don't know what the roster is really going to look like. But I like to see him go somewhere else where he's just the main guy. On like he seems like he'd be a lot of fun on a bad team. Is where <laughs> I'm going. I want Jabari to go to a bad team that he can just drop thirty two a night on. He might be a good second option somewhere, but I feel like even if it was a sh- like sign and trade swap for Gordon and Parker. I think the Magic are losing value there just because Gordon actually has a defensive ceiling and Jabari Parker yeah. does not. And the two ACL injuries, that's you know that's a huge red flag. And his defense, he made some strides last year. This is Jabari I'm talking about, but that progress is just evaporated now on his way back. The Bucks aren't even really closing games with him, which is kind of a red flag to me. Then again, they've also closed games with Jason Terry over Tony Snell. So that's, Jason you know, Terry starting game for this. Yeah. Game. It's just that. So Pr- Prunty's decision-making hasn't been the greatest in my opinion, but uh, too many red flags for me on the Jabari front. And I don't, I think you're right. The The bucks are matching him, even if he wants to leave, because if they weren't, you, you trade him at the, at the trade deadline, because he still would have had some value since teams would have viewed having his bird rights, uh, as valuable to some extent as well. I wonder if, and this might be put him, him and Levine might be in the same boat. Would the Bucks try and hash out a short-term agreement with him that's worth a lot of money? Like, what if you just max him out for two years and say, you know, here's your two years and you know what, whatever it would be about fifty-two million dollars or whatever contract, and then it's a short-term risk for for them just to see if he fits because they could use his shooting and they could definitely. You can never have too many face-up scores, and they and they theoretically have the defensive personnel to cover up for him when you look at Middleton and Bledsoe and Giannis and Snell and even a fully healthy Malcolm Brogdon. Or if you keep him, if you match, and I, I, I don't even know which team would actually give Jabari money. When you look at the teams that have money this year, maybe Dallas, but I don't know that they would do it. I can see Dallas. That makes sense. Phoenix wouldn't make too much sense, no. sense unless they're just out on Chris and Bender and don't draft a big I just, and looking at the rest of the NBA, I just teams with money. I don't know who would go after him. So maybe you just match whatever contract he gets or let the market dictate his value and sign him to a contract. And then you pull the Blake Griffin Clippers. They're obviously disparate situations, but if he has three or four years left on his deal, he becomes a more valuable trade chip next February if, if he's healthy. Are we sure the Bulls are not going to go after him very hard this summer? They will have cap space, but could you imagine a defense that has Jabari Parker and Zach Levine making a ton of money with Lori Markinen and Den <laughs> Allenton also getting minutes? Could you imagine? Be fun. It'd be terrible defensively, but it would be fun. Don't tell me you would not enjoy like Zach Levine at point with Denzel, uh, Lori Markinen, Jabari, and like I don't even care who the other guy is in this lineup. Like, if you're going to tank and keep tanking, go all out. Like, that's the thing. If you're going to tank, have a bunch of fun offensive guys. But if you're tanking with, like, no offensive talent, it's just absolutely... Here, here's my thing. You, you Tanking with expensive talent is stupid. And if you have Zach Levine and Jabari Parker combining to make, let's say, $30 million between them, and that might be on the conservative end, that's a problem. Like, as soon as you re... The Suns are a perfect example. They're about to reinvest in Devin Booker. They've already paid TJ Warren. Your window to tank is over. Once you start reinvesting in your core, you can't, you can't keep tanking. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want to tie this back. Cause there was one other team and I guess maybe they would fit here too. 
my favorite sneaky Kawhi thing. I really love the idea of Kawhi in Cleveland. Like, what if that's like what keeps LeBron there? They trade Love, they give the Brooklyn oh, pick, they give the Brooklyn pick to the Spurs. Oh, I I just think like, wouldn't that be crazy? Is that outrageous to think that you could do a Love and Brooklyn pick for Kawhi situation, and then you get Cleveland? I mean, you get LeBron to stay in Cleveland. It'd be interesting to see what San Antonio's defense would look like with LMA at the five and Love at the four, and then you have Powell backing them up. Yeah. I think Cleveland could be a viable destination depending on where that Brooklyn pick falls. Right now, it's slated to fall seventh. I'm not sure if that's high enough. If it vaulted into the yeah. top three, you literally just attach that to Chetty and Filler, and you're there. But I, I, I think the package for me, and this is actually one that I was writing about, would be you give San Antonio Chetty, you give them Zizek, you give them the 2018 first from Brooklyn, and then you give them George Hill and Kyle Korver for Kawhi Leonard and Patty Mills. And your selling point there is, no, you're not really getting a top prospect unless the Spurs are confident they can turn a top seven pick into a star. But George Hill and Kyle Korver, they can be waived for less than $5 million combined uh, right before 2019 free agency. And then you have Patty Mills' salary off the books. You're not paying Kawhi Leonard. Pau Gasol's salary at that point is not guaranteed. They could mess up the world in free agency. And imagine Chetty has shown signs in Cleveland. Imagine what he might be able to do in San Antonio. That would just be the package for me. And we know George Hill has the connection with the Spurs. Could you imagine Kyle Korver in San Antonio? So he's old, man. Like how old is Korver now? 37, but he's still, his release is just like quick fire. And he tries on defense. It never works. Like he always tries, but it never works. But you put him in a system like San Antonio's that has other good defenders and his effort on defense probably just goes a long way unto itself. So you could sell the Spurs there on, Hey, you guys are still straddling two timelines because you have these guys who are going to help you stay in contention next season. And you're going to get all these prospects to, to evaluate. So that would be interesting to me. I would be, if Cleveland gave up love and the Nets pick, I don't think that's a deal breaker if I'm Cleveland, but now it just feels like you're getting back to the point where you're only a two star faction. And it's very clearly taking like three stars to get into the championship conversation right now. And LeBron's going to be entering his age 34 season. So if I'm him, and I think he's even said it this year, like he appreciates love more than ever. Now I'd try and find a way to keep love and then trade for Leonard as well. Obviously a pipe dream, but I think the pathway there is uh, with that Nets pick and Chetty. And then you try and build it around with, with filler. Hmm. Now I think if I'm the Spurs, I'm it loves part of it, no matter what, like you're, you're giving me Kevin love. Really? Do you want to, if you're the Spurs, uh, you know, I mean, Kevin again, Love's going to be a free agent in 2019, too. You want to pay him? Yeah, I do. Would you do? This was my favorite. I don't know if it was my favorite, but it was for a year. And that's the whole part of it where it's like that because they're not going to obviously they're still trying to win now and that kind of thing where I still think Kevin Love's a really good player. And I think he'd be re- really fun with LMA. And I think it wouldn't be a spacing disaster. And I don't know if you're going to pay Pau Gasol what they paid him this summer. I don't think I would be that. Hey, if they um, weren't paying Pau Gasol, it, Kevin Love would look a lot better in San Antonio. My favorite quad destination, or like in terms of dark horses, would be Philly. Like, what if they just said, you know, yes, we gave up so much to get Markel Fultz, but what if they gave the Spurs Fultz, TLC, Sarich, that Lakers pick, and then you include Jared Bayless's deal, which they don't want anyway, and then you get Kawhi Leonard. Jared Bayless is like getting DMP CDs like every game. 
Right, but if you're the Sixers, you you want to get rid of him because if you that deal would still leave the Sixers with more than 25 million in cap space this year, and that's with Kawhi Leonard. So you're kind of out of LeBron James territory, but you could do some other things. Yeah. And while the Spurs are yes, you're forced to take back Bayless. It's only for a year. Maybe you could find a third party to take him. But could you imagine? Okay, I think Fultz would be good in San Antonio. Him and Murray are two guys you could play together. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there. Why are we sure Markel Fultz is still good? You know, I think Markel Fultz is going to be fine. I honestly think he's going to be fine. So I have some Sixers takes, but people I think have lost their minds by thinking this team has a shot at getting to the NBA Finals. Um, I will say this is kind of part of it too, where I'm really upset, but I also think this is, I'm going to put my conspiracy hat on for a second. I think the Wizards are intentionally taking for the seven seed now. I think they're doing everything in their power to avoid playing the Cavs in round one, but they did this to themselves. They put themselves in a position where they actually might have to face the Cavs in round one, and they're not beating LeBron in round one. Like, LeBron is not losing a first-round series. It's just not happening, and I'm still a huge Wizards believer, and I've been pounding the Wizards are built for the playoffs drum, like, all season long. I that must be a lonely Wizards. island you're on right it's now. It's a lonely island. But I'm a believer. <laughs> like, you look at their game logs. I'm telling you, just go back and look at the box scores. That Their starting vibe is always like plus 15, plus 22. The bench is always a dumpster fire. It's literally just because they have to play 10 guys and 11 guys because the regular season. Those guys just kill them. Like They were up on the Bucks in the first quarter of one of these players only broadcasts on Tuesday night like a month ago. And... They were just burying them. Bradley Beal was playing like a superstar. Everything was working through him, and they were up like 25 to 8. And then the game gradually got closer because the Wizards had to play Jody Meeks, who can barely walk. They had to play all these different guys who just... Tim Frazier is absolutely awful. They signed him on <laughs> Sessions, who is just terrible. I, I hate their bench with a passion. But you know what I don't hate is when they're going to play like John Wall, Tomas Sadoransky, Mahimni, who's actually okay for 12 minutes now, Gortat, Porter, Keefe, and Kelly Oubre. Like, they have a really good eight-man group for the playoffs. I think they're still going to be a problem. They have experience in the playoffs. If they get to the seven seed and they get matched up with Boston round one, they're beating Boston. That's happening. Especially with Kyrie, who's going to miss at least, like, the first half of the series, right? Like, they're not going to have Kyrie. They are banged up. Marcus Smart, banged up. Like, the Wizards are beating the Celtics in a first-round series. So I think they want to get to the seventh spot so they get matched up with them. And uh, if I had a Dark Horse finals pick, it's still the Wizards. Like, it's I don't think it's going to happen, but I think this team is still just too good and too uh, veteran-heavy and too top-heavy for them not to actually excel in the playoffs. The Sixers, why do we think like the Embiid stuff really sucks? He has the facial contusion. I think he's in the concussion protocol and everything. Ben Simmons has been awesome. They're, they got a lot more depth. They added Ilya Sobu, who's been really good for them, and Bellinelli, and all these guys. They have This is a team that's still just never been in the playoffs before. Like, it's going to be, a, there's going to be a learning curve there. And I'm still just, I don't think they're winning a first round series. I disagree. You're bullish unless on they the, get the Pacers. Unless they get the Pacers. The Pacers are the only team that I'm 100% certain are losing a first round series. I just, I, I don't know. I mean,. It, I get they've never been to the playoffs, but like, let's look at Ben Simmons. He's a rookie, but he's not actually a rookie. Like he's been around the NBA for a season, and if Embiid was healthy, he's been around the NBA for basically almost a half decade at this point, which is crazy to think about. I I think they would be my dark horse finals pick, and that's only because if you avoid Cleveland in round one, 
I, I think they, they, they can win. And if there was a team that could possibly, I would pick them to beat Cleveland before I would Washington. Their defense is better. Washington's defense has been up and down all year. You look at just the talent they have with Ben Simmons and, and everything he can do defensively. The same thing with Embiid defensively, Rocco defensively. Fultz, we can, I'm totally, oh God. if look, if you want to criticize his offense, like his jump shot specifically, go ahead. And it'll probably take him a little while to finish consistently at a high level around the rim, but he's going to be an okay playmaker. And more importantly, he has the size to be pretty good defensively. And if you can gum up Cleveland's offense in just any way, we know LeBron James is going to get his, but if you can gum it up in any way, they don't have the defense to come back at you and win a slog it out fest. I just don't think the wizards have that defensive ceiling. And I, if I'm Philly, regardless of whether I lose in the first round or not, I would look at acquiring Kawhi Leonard because does he not, when you look at Embiid and Covington um, and Simmons, would Leonard not elevate them to contender status in the Eastern Conference right away, especially if you're getting him and still maintaining a good deal of cap flexibility? I don't like the fit. Ben Simmons needs the ball too much, and they're doing a good job of rotating guys in and out and having certain guys play with certain guys, but like, I don't like that hodgepodge of talent there i quite literally spent like the first two-thirds of his career playing off the ball i would love that fit. but i think it's so much more fun when he's playing on the ball i think that's why the spurs are so dan- like they're so different and so cool to watch is when Kawhi's running things i would definitely agree but just looking at the basketball fit there if i'm the sixers i i would want to roll the dice on that i'm already my mentions are uh, a tire fire with that trade mm-hmm. suggestion uh, about the Sixers uh, fan. Sixers fans apparently think Fultz is gonna is already a superstar, and that uh, giving oh. up Dario Sarge oh. is just treason. So <laughs> Sarge, I'm actually he's I, been good this. Pre- he's been better than I thought in his role. Same here. Yeah, I was pretty down. I did not like the fit with him and Simmons and Embiid. And I thought he was a really strong trade candidate uh, this season, but he's been too good and he's worked really well. But I just think we're all buying too much stock into a team that still has Joel Embiid, who is awesome when he's on the floor, but I'm a, I'm still a, I am still a Sixer skeptic, and it's probably not going to go away. Like the injury stuff is still just never going to go away, and I'm just I'm not a believer. I'm who's really mo- not. who's more likely? Fun. Who's more likely to win a first round series? The Celtics without Kyrie or the Sixers without Embiid? That's not fair because one of these teams <laughs> might get the Pacers and one of these teams is going to get like the Wizards of the Heat. I don't trust the I trust the Pacers more than the Heat. I can tell you that. Really? Right now. The Pacers, their offense has kind of fallen off, but their defense is getting a lot better. And I, Victor Oladipo has just been a monster. So if you so if you put Victor Oladipo in a series against the Kyrie Celtics or the Joel Embiid Sixers, there's a chance that the Pacers are going to have the best player on the floor in that series. If you give Miami to either one of those teams, the Heat still, in my opinion, just don't have a puncher's chance of having the best player in that series on the floor. Do you think there is a chance that Nate McMillan beats Brad Stevens in a playoff series? <sighs> no. <laughs> but I don't, I guess you could say, but just looking at the talent there and if he's, ah, uh, 
But they're a team that relies on pushing the pace, which is so weird for a Nate McMillan team. But if you watch the Pacers at all, you'll see like Victor Oladipo's like three or four steals a game and Collison's uh, like a handsy guy. And like Miles Turner is still a great defensive guy, but they are always pushing the pace. And Victor Oladipo is like a Puget three assassin and he loves it. And it's great. However, I don't see the way they play translating to the playoffs at all. Like, I think when things get tight and they have to find other creators besides Oladipo just pushing the pace and just um, taking advantage of rebounds and just pushing the floor and putting defenses on their toes, like, I don't think that's going to work in the playoffs. And I think if you put them up against somebody like the Sixers or, um, like, Ben Simmons is going to guard Victor Oladipo. And that is not going to go well. I don't don't think that's going to end up working out and... um, indiana's favor so and it that's like as the standings are right now it's four or five and pacers are pretty much locked in there because i think they're like four games up on the heat and the heat are tied in the win-loss column with the wizards speaking of the wizards because i will never leave them they are 14th in defensive efficiency right now 11th in offensive efficiency and that's without john wall for most of the season like if they have john wall for the, the majority of the season i think they're top 10 in both and we're looking at them very different you but, think he's gonna help their defense get into the top 10 with the with the knee problems that he's had I think in the playoffs, they will play like a top 10 defense, yes. Top 10 of 16 isn't really that impressive. Well, I'm though. saying like, <laughs> you know what I mean, where it's just like, I think they're just going to, they're a team that's just going to step up. Like I Scott actually Rose think they need to trade John Wall. Oh, God. Like just, I'm just, that money that he's going to be making, I, John Wall's a fantastic player, but I don't know that he's going to be the guy that gets you past the Cavaliers and that's for me that's where everyone talks about the Wizards being a tough matchup for the Cavaliers it it just falls apart for me because the Wizards is best player there's a chance that he might be the third best player in that series because I'm I'm just super high on Kevin Love I just don't know who the right team to trade him to is oh Phoenix without question you could probably get that if you look at because look at how long he's under contract for who are they getting back in that deal um I think it would probably be a package similar to what they're getting for or would we just talked about to what they would give up with for, Josh Jackson? Yeah, Josh Jackson, this year's okay. pick. Um, you have you could even if they really wanted to, they can kind of take they can work something out where they're gonna take back Jan Mahimi um to help grease the wheels of that trade. But that he would be interesting just because it, not only is he a superstar who they probably a caliber of superstar they wouldn't sign in free agency, but he he signed the four year extension, which doesn't kick in until 2019, 2020. So you have him for five years under lock and key. And yes, he's going to be overpaid at some point, but you, you would have him and, and there might be value to that there for them. Hmm. I don't know. I think Wall, he'd be really fun. I know this was tossed around like a year or two ago, but it was before they had the breakout season with Beal and Wall and that whole, like, can they actually play together? Do they actually like each other? Blah, blah, blah. But then they won games, and it turns out that winning uh, cures a lot of uh, ill will. (laughs) Yeah, him and Beal are like best friends now, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it turns out that winning changes a lot. But um, Denver will always be fascinating to me. But I mean, the Jokic stuff, that'd be kind of a weird fit. But also just like I think Denver should embrace the pace and space philosophy. I just think like the it was just the George Carl Nuggets were still some of my favorite teams of like the last 10 years. And if they uh, traded for him and like you got Jamal Murray back or not even Jamal Murray, but I don't know, Gary Harris. Could you do Gary Harris and Bradley Beal as your backcourt? Would that work? I don't know. It would work. Is it crazy that I would not do that if I were the Nuggets? Just why take the no. ball out of Jokic's hands with Wall? Like if it was a Kyrie Irving like point guard, or maybe a Kemba Walker, 
and then the price would for someone like Kemba Walker would obviously be lower. But they to me they would just be like a better John Wall would be fun in Denver, no doubt. But I think Kemba Walker or Kyrie oh, Irving last year. Oh, I have uh, the deal. Indiana Timberwolves, Timberwolves. for do you do Teague and Wiggins for Wall and who's the other piece they're sending back there? I guess. Well, I don't think, though, uh, Thibodeau has enough bigs who can't shoot. So we could send Mahini, <laughs> or we can send Markeith, or Marcin Gortat. I guess if you did Marcin Gortat, Markeith, and Wall for Teague and Andrew Wiggins when his extension kicks in, mm-hmm. that'd be interesting. I mean, at least Markeith can shoot. Uh, if you had Jang, Gibson, Carl Anthony Towns, and Gortat, and Justin Patton on the same team, the world might explode, but that that'd be hysterical. I could see Tibbs, the GM, doing something like that. I would love to have John Wallace as point guard. I don't know what. Yeah, that's another person who he could run into the ground. That's what I'm saying. I think it'd be he would. I think Stan Van Gundy might be desperate enough to sniff around and be like, "What would it take to get uh, uh, John Wall?" But I think it would have to. The Wizards would have to really not want to pay, because you could because Reggie Jackson is he'll be cheaper after next season. And uh, he's he's a substantial downgrade, but if the Wizards kind of have like that instant buyer's remorse, where it's like, oh shit, we're going to be paying John Wall forty plus million dollars in his thirties, and they just want to get out of that extension, you could do Reggie Jackson and Stanley Johnson, and I, I doubt the Pistons would give up Kennard as well. But if they were willing to do that, that I, that's not something that would be terrible for them. Again, John Wall is a fantastic player, but is he a guy that you want to pay that much money? on the back end of his prime. And I think given how much he's a smart player too, but given how much he relies on speed and raw athleticism, I'm not sure that I want the, at least the final two years, but probably the final three years of his extension. And then there's the wild card, the Cavs. Yeah, that would be, would you give up? What would you give up? I would not give up Kevin love. Okay. I, you give up the Nets pick, obviously, because you don't yeah. have anything else. But what are you? What would you give up as filler? Ooh, this is tough. Would is George Hill in the Nets pick? Is that is that? Oh yeah, deal? George Hill's included in this. Like, so, George Hill is going to Washington in this deal. So you um, George Hill in the Nets pick for John Wall. I wouldn't hate that necessarily for either side. I wouldn't want to give up too much. If you want to give the Wizards Zizek or maybe Chetty, maybe I just wouldn't want to give up too much more. If I'm Cleveland in that because of John, I don't think John Wall's contract is necessarily great. And that well, Rodney Hood would get included, too, because I don't think Rodney Hood is going to get paid by the Cavs this summer. And he's a restricted free agent, I think, right? Yeah, they could sign and trade him. But that that would get I don't even the financial <laughs> hoops to jump through for that would be crazy. Given the Cavs. Well, that's why pay. you're here, Dan, is you are the NBA math guy. And, and like, you know, I, I'm not a math guy. Actually, I, I, I think, think the Wizards would probably vomit if they if the Cavs <laughs> tried to sign and trade Rodney Hood to them just because you have Kelly Oubre and Otto Porter and Bradley Beal. I don't uh, need Rodney Hood's junkie pull up long twos in that offense if I'm the Wizards. I think George Hill and the Nets. I think George Hill and the Nets pick for John Wall. And if you have to include, let's say Chetty, and then you have to take back Jason Smith, yeah, if you're the cat, you know, maybe. I think that would be that would be a very interesting deal. Okay. Last thing I want to touch on. We've kind of talked about this team a little bit, but Whiteside, it's already been forgotten about because of all the other craziness in the NBA right now. But uh, it doesn't seem like he's long for Miami. That's always been kind of a weird relationship, and there's always been that debate of whether or not he makes their defense better and everything else. But I, you know where he should go. It's Los Angeles. 
like him on the Lakers as the wow. anchor, I think it'd make a lot of sense. You can send Randall out because I don't think you should pay Randall. And I like what he's done in LA this year. And it's really fun to watch him play bully ball down low and everything. But I don't think you pay him. And if you were able to facilitate a deal to send him to Miami and somebody else, I'm not sure who it would be, but they're going to have a bunch of cap space uh, with KCP coming off the books. So you signed that one year deal. And uh, I mean, they still have the now, blue wall dang stuff, but they're going to have money. If, it's interesting because I was talking about this with a colleague earlier today, and the Lakers were the team, basically the only team that I could really see for Whiteside. I know Milwaukee's a popular one, but we're on the same page. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that he's like an upgrade, a big upgrade over I don't John Henson. Like Milwaukee, yeah, no. Um, but I, if I'm the Lakers and I'm giving up, Ju- Julius Randle's been really, really good this year, like really, really good. And I get the sentiment that you don't want to pay him. And theoretically, if you're going to sign and trade him, at least Hassan Whiteside comes off the books in 2019 i would want the heat would have to give the lakers to me justice winslow and Hassan whiteside and assign and trade for julius randall and maybe there's another filler piece in there the other thing i was thinking though has rand has whiteside's value fallen so far that if the lakers just said hey here's josh hart who's been really good who has been really good. I just want to, I'm not building this on a whim. Is if he they, like the Lakers fans, like Terry Rozier from Boston, where it's like, we all know that he's good, but like this idea that he's like untouchable now because you really, I mean, it's right. He's, there's a lot of insane uh, conversations. Do you know who he reminds Hart. me of? And this has been a wildly unpopular opinion. Picture okay. like a more under control Kentavious Caldwell Pope with a little <laughs> bit of extra rebounding. Okay. But if the Lakers said, hey, here's Josh Hart, and you take Luel Deng, who was good for you. He's cheaper, and the Heat are going to be up against the tax next year, and they're going to be up against the tax in the years after that because of Tyler Johnson's deal. They have to at least consider Justice Winslow's deal. And then you, the, the Lakers just took back Whiteside. They're adding yeah. money, but they're getting a guy who helps them win next season when they don't have their pick. Yeah, I I like it. And I think it, it fits with Kuzma at the four. I think it fits with that team and just having – um the size that they do it'd be fun and then my year after this is my laker plan i'm I'm laying it out for you they're not getting lebron they're not getting paul george my pick devin booker he's the future laker he's the final piece he fits next to lonzo ingram kuzma whiteside see what happens good luck getting him from the suns in restricted free agency my guess is they'd match anything if they don't sign him this summer to an extension I think Booker is going to be a Laker. I could see the Lakers getting Jimmy Butler, who will probably have only Ooh. one knee in 2019. <laughs> I, I Man, I love Jimmy Butler. He might be like, he might be my favorite player in the NBA right now. He's a top 10 player. I He's just, he's a top 10 player and the Timberwolves is on off splits with and without him show it. I just, I, it's weird to then say this. I don't know if I want a part of his next contract because he spent so much of his prime under Thibodeau now. Okay. We'll see. Um, any final things you want to touch on before we get out of here? Nothing to touch on. I just, isn't it amazing how I can't think of a single other team that would trade for Hassan Whiteside other than maybe the Lakers. And that, that might even be a reach. I mean, it's just, it's he, the minute stuff is weird. I, I just think there is some off the court stuff. It seems like with him, like attitude, I, I we don't know, but like, it does seem like there is something where it kind of reminds me of Dwight where there's like this misunderstanding of who you are in today's NBA where like, I think he wants more post-ups. I think he wants to be more involved in the offense when he should like focus on more of the Capella DJ stuff. And yeah. C- Capella I, I, and Deandre Jordan need to teach like a master's class in 
like stay in your lane NBA style. Yeah, and I mean, I don't mean that as a form of disrespect, but I just think it's like that's what it reminds me of is he the Dwight stuff. And you could still get paid being in that role. And I think DeAndre Jordan has proved that. Clint Capella will prove that this summer. So, and if, I, you know, if I'm Hassan Whiteside, then you you try and master that offensive role, and then you focus on being like Capella on defense, or Bam Abadabayo, who it seems weird to say that because he's a rookie. If you can prove that you can kind of defend in space, you're going to get even more money as a big. You don't need to be this like high usage offensive player. And Dwight Howard never grasped that. I think Andre Drummond is starting to grasp that, but Hassan Whiteside doesn't seem to understand that. I, I believe you're hundred percent right there. And I think it just kind of, I have less of a, I, I feel, I don't know because Dwight like started differently. You know what I mean? Like he started in a different era and that era changed while he is still in the league. Whiteside came in and he knows what the modern five is and like how to stay on the floor and like what his value is to a team. And he's still like, it seems like he's brushing against that. So I, I don't know. I, I have less sympathy, I think, for Whiteside than I did Dwight because of just how much changed so fast and that he was able to do the first part of his career one way and then just kind of relegated in a really sad way in the second part. So I don't know. I think from that perspective, and it's probably the only time I'm ever going to have like serious sympathy for Dwight, but um yeah i don't know Whiteside lakers you heard it here first from dan and i yes when it happens over the summer remember that chase and i talked about it first yes that's and also frank vogel will be the next coach in the knicks also jot that one down but give Um, give all the credit there to chase i remain skeptical (laughs) (laughs) all right well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on. As always, this is always a blast. We can find you on Twitter at Dan Favalli. We can read you at nbamath.com. We can read you at bleachreport.com. And uh, keep up the great work, sir, and we will, we will have to talk again soon. Definitely, Chase. Thanks for having me, as always. All right, Dan. Matthew Cerrone is here, the MetsBlog.com founder, which I don't know if we've talked about before, Matt, but like I have distinct memories of reading Mets blog, like the really old out, the blue and orange, like yeah. the blog post style from like I was I think a junior in high school when I first was God, reading. Please that. don't tell me. I know. What, what, what year? What year are we talking about here? Are this you gonna is, make I me think feel old? Oh eight, oh seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty. I mean, I look. I started it. In 03, in the fall of 03, when, I mean, I didn't know jack about anything digital. <laughs> and it was just HTML on, you know, text on a blank white page or gray page, actually. Um, black text. I mean, there were no graphics, no images, nothing. I mean, it was that that's it. And, you know, it wasn't until uh, a now very good friend, John Keegan, who at the time I didn't know from Adam, he just approached me out of the blue he was starting a blog hosting company, which at the time was new, a uh, new concept. And he was a huge Mets fan and somehow found the site, which I was hosting on Yahoo GeoCities at the time. And, um, you know, this uh, he, he's the one who really brought and injected, you know, a comment section and permalinks and an actual blog, you know, concept. And, um, you know, I was doing entries and trying to mimic a blog, but I was doing it like I said, just an HTML, he actually, you know, built an infrastructure for me and, and helped, you know, style it and design it and do all that kind of stuff, you know, and, um, I just focused on the content, things like the confidence rating and all these little, you know, things that were kind of, 
Um, you know, I pulled from the world of politics and pop culture and entertainment blogs I've been reading, um, you know, and it kind of just caught on. Uh, it was a grind. I mean, it took, you know, several years, probably until 06, 07, that things really started to catch on. But, uh, you know, it was really with his help. And at the time, Blog Harbor, now he's PressHarbor.com uh, with WordPress sites. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's that's a long time ago. <laughs> it's, it's, I, you know, I'm 42. I have two kids now. I'm married. I, you know, back then. It was a whole other ball game. Yeah, yeah. simpler times. And, uh, uh, you could say that. You could say that. Eh, just different times. They were different. They were different. Yeah, but it was just like I remember. Like that was one of my favorite things. Was just how clean and easy it was. And I had put a yeah. lot of value into clean and easy sites, and mm-hmm. where it's mm-hmm. easy for me to find like the most recent things, and I can just um, digest stuff really quickly and that kind of thing. So that was like one of the early appeals and Jets Press, yeah. and Ryan Bassett, and all yeah, that you know, so I, got, I got everything there. It's it's funny. I mean, and this is I'm going to say this and it's going to sound like I'm being critical of of uh, of Mets blog now and of S and Y, but really it's just it's critical of just digital internet content in general. Is I just I, I struggle with it as a consumer, but also as a publisher mm-hmm. because as a consumer, I think the internet is pretty much a mess. I mean, it's it is just really difficult to navigate. There's pop ups and things moving and ads everywhere and video and autoplay and what do I have to pay for? What do I not pay for? What's free? What isn't? Subscribe here. Follow this. I mean, it's just, it's so complicated, even the most simple things. And, you know, as a consumer, it's, it's, it's difficult. I just find that nothing is very easy. And I think the people that can sort of crack that, um, you know, are going to do really well because, you know, as a publisher, you know, as somebody currently that's paid just to, to write and literally that's it, that's, that's what I do. Um, you know, it's, I just send in my articles and off they go and, and SMY does with it, what they're going to do. But from a consumer, you know, so I'm not really concerned with the publishing end as much as I had been in the past, but as a consumer, I can tell you just, it's just difficult. I find, you know, it's just, there's just so much out there. It's information overload. And, you know, my email is like 80% links that I've sent to myself to things to read and follow up. And I just never do. And it's just, that's the nature of the game at this point, you know? I have spreadsheets, so I've become an Excel <laughs> savant, and I, uh, talk, I love it. It's incredible. Like I love my organization. I love my sites. Like I, I like I build it out from different sports, hmm. and like I have the local stuff and everything. Like I even have certain writers that I have to read every day. So instead of like the pocket stuff, which I think a lot That's of people awesome. do, but uh, it's the only way to keep track of everything. You have to have. Um, yep. I just don't know how people can just like scroll through Twitter and like, oh, I'm going to read that. And then that's just too chaotic for me. And I'm trying to stay off Twitter as much as humanly possible. So, yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say that. I I was thinking about that today with the Facebook. um, You know, we're recording this uh, the day that the the Mets and the Phillies uh, broadcast the game on Facebook, Mm -hmm. uh, which was really interesting. And, you know, I'd love to talk about that if you want to. But one of the things that struck me while I was doing it was that like, this is the first time I've ever watched a game and saw Facebook comments. Like for the past whatever years, it's been all Twitter. Yeah. So this was new and that was kind of interesting. And I, I was just thinking to myself, wow, it's really weird. Like I don't necessarily miss the, the, the free flowing chaos of, of following a game on Twitter because interjected with all of that are tweets about everything else under the sun that I might follow. And you know, while I'm watching a Mets game, it's all these other things, and and you know, it's fifty, hundred tweets at a time that are going by. Whereas, so like, I'm just Mets games with uh, Twitter open. Um, I do sometimes. I usually don't actually. For the most part, I, you know, I do when I'm watching the game. I do 
when I'm watching it live. I ordinarily watch after the fact, um, you know, again, father, kids, <laughs> a lot of different <laughs> business things going on. So like, I tend to watch the games in the morning. Um, when it's quiet and I can kind of buzz through. Oh, different you're speaking things. my language. I love yeah. the I mean, early morning just, games where you have yeah, no distraction, but the thing is you have to avoid that night before sure. every, yeah, all the scores true. because that's part well, of the appeal of sports. It's just like, it is, it is. you know, that's true. That's true. It's funny. I, you know, somewhere along the line that's changed for me because, and again, I don't know if it's, and I was just thinking about this recently. It's funny you say this. Like, I don't know if it was the, the technology or if it's fatherhood or if it's just age or priorities or whatever, or just the way I approach my writing, but I'm far more, con- far more interested in the story. And I think maybe this was always the case, but I, I didn't have a chance to flex this muscle as much as I do maybe now. And maybe that's the difference. I was always, I, you know, I, I, I find myself more concerned with the story of the season. I'm far more interested in sort of the ebbs and flow and the tide of the fan base and the tide of the team and the schedule and the, and the standings and where things are going. And it's the day to day minutia has sort of, I don't know if it's taken a toll or just kind of comes out in the wash because, you know, you realize after doing this for so many years that, you know, arguing about the 25th man on the roster can only go so far that like eventually all that stuff kind of plays itself out. Like it's these larger other storylines that kind of, take over and it's what you remember you know we don't you don't remember i mean maybe you kind of you know i think back and i remember arguments about brad emis you know and and rule five draft and spring trainings and random crazy stuff like that but for the most part like those seasons were dictated by other things and like that's the stuff i find that i gravitate to now and i tend to write about so like the need to watch the game in real time and be surprised by the ending to me isn't as necessary or vital um and again i don't know Mm -hmm. if that's because the way, you know, life goes as you get older and, you know, I just can't make that a priority. I'm not entirely sure, but, you know, like I I know I was more interested. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand. Like I want the Mets to win and that is the most important thing, but I was most intrigued by, you know, on Monday, how did Matt Harvey do more than I was, are the Mets going to win or lose? Because I'm going to find that out either way. Yeah. But, you know, how did Harvey do? How did he handle it? You know, how did he react after the game? How did he react during the, like all that kind of stuff? That story of Matt Harvey is far more interesting to me as a writer than whether the Mets won four to two. Hmm. And so, like, that's just and I, again, I don't know. And this to 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 the to the point in the beginning of, of the question was just that, like, I don't know if that's. I was thinking about it recently, and like, I don't know if it's just age and just where I'm at, like, professionally, but like it allows me to sort of watch those games in the morning and just kind of buzz through. And even though I might know that the Mets won the night, that game, I could still kind of watch it with these different eyes and this kind of storytelling eye and kind of watch the things that I want to write for, because I know that's kind of what I'm watching for. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, and maybe, well, maybe it will in 10 years or 20 years. I, I don't know, but like, that's just kind of where I'm at now. And, and I kind of enjoy it to be quite honest with you. It's a little bit more fun. It's, it's certainly less stressful. I like doing that on the rewatch. So, like, there are certain things where, like, when that unpredictability isn't there from the start, like, I, I need that the first go around, I or I'll catch myself just, like, uh, getting distracted by something else because I just know how this game ends. But if yeah. you don't, you're just, <laughs> yep. I, there's something about my attention is just stronger when I'm hmm. watching a game with the unpredictability no, factor. I, I don't know. That's just part of it for me. As I'm saying and I'm hearing you, I realize I'm being a bit of a, not a hypocrite, but I think maybe this is the job because yeah. I cannot do that with football. And I'm a Jets fan, but I couldn't possibly watch a football game and and know the outcome going. Like I couldn't watch a Jet game knowing that they lost, you know, forty-two to twelve. Like I can't go into the game knowing that. 
I just I won't watch it. Like it's just not that. So it's got to be something about the, the the job itself and 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 the writing and everything, which is you know I guess a thing into of itself. It's unique to me maybe, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of where things <laughs> where things are at, and I, I kind of like it. I got to be honest, I enjoy it. It's it's I, it's more fun to talk about. That's for certain. The Mets, <laughs> they are fun <laughs> to talk about right now, though. Oh, and they are. I, they always are. But you know what's? I don't know if that's true. They were oh, it's not please. been fun to talk about the last couple of years, and I feel like there's this <laughs> new life of yeah. the Mickey Callaway stuff, and I I think it's I feel bad for my Mets fan friends because it's just been beaten out of them, and just it the World Series year just feels forever ago. Like I can't believe that was only 2015 because that really does just feel like a lifetime ago. And this team has just been standing on the outside while the Nationals win 100 games every year, and this year like. There's a possibility. I mean, if the Nationals played the Braves 162 times this year, they <laughs> yeah. might go four and 158. Like I think it's on the table. But um, shout out to the Braves who scored I think 4,800 sure. runs uh, through the first uh, few games. Yeah, really. Uh, but um, they're better than people think. Yeah, I mean, they were. They are. In, in the division in general, I think. Is, look, the Marlins are what they are, and they're going to be terrible, and that everybody yeah. knows. But the thing is, they're all going to beat up on them, so that mm-hmm. kind of cancels itself out. Um, you know, from the Mets perspective, it's going to be another 10 or 12 wins, whether they try or not, I think on top of what they did last year, but that can probably be said for all the teams in the division. Cause I think they're, you know, and the Marlins are what they are, like I said, but I think the Phillies, you know, despite Gabe Kapler's best I was efforts, say you wrote about this, you wrote about yeah. the Gabe Kapler, Mickey Calloway thing. Like I actually are going to be compared a lot over the they next are. few years. They are. I think the Phillies lineup has more potential as the season goes on. I think when they start to see pitchers in the division and they kind of find their their place and Kapler starts keeping them in spots a little bit more, I think as they all become more familiar with each other, I think the Phillies are actually going to be a really good second half team because of Noah and, and Arietta. I mean, every, you know, 40, two out of every five starts, they're bringing out two aces that are, uh, you know, assuming Arietta stays healthy. Um, and as you know, I, to me, with that feeling. Yeah, no kidding. Right, exactly. Um, you know, and so like to me, I look at the Phillies and I think this is not a team to be taken lightly. I know they're looking kind of crummy right now, and I, you know, but I, like I said, I think they're just feeling their their way through, and I think the second half they're going to be good. And the Braves, I feel like it's the same thing. To me, their pitching is a little bit more um, unpredictable, but has the potential to be really good. And so, you know, I don't, as a Mets fan, I don't take anything lightly in the division outside of the Marlins. That's fair. Um, and I probably should have just said that, actually, because now the Marlins are going to win like 16 and 19 games or something against the Mets and completely ruin it. But that's the deal. That's how it works. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah the Marlins. Uh, Please. All I really all want I really... from the Marlins this year is them to go back to the teal and pinstripes. Like, Jeter has the history of the pinstripe. Let's go ahead and get rid of the orange. Let's get rid of the colors. Let's go back to the World Series winning Marlins colors because those were some of my favorite uniforms. Yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. Me too. I totally, you know, and I, You'd think with Jeter, like, you know, he's going to take down that statue. He's going to bring back some class and some professionalism. And, like, you just kind of assume they're going to get back there. I bet you when they're ready to win, because isn't that always the way? Like the Diamondbacks, you know, the Astros, all these teams. Don't even get me started on the Diamondbacks because you're in the purple. It's always like right when these teams are ready to turn the corner, they, like, switch unis and then boom, you know. So, like, you know that's where Jeter's going, you know. They're obviously going to show up in, like, navy blue and white pinstripes, right? (laughs) Something (laughs) like that. It would not surprise me. Um how what like Mets fans like it just felt like there was not a lot of excitement heading into this year but now I think the way like just seeing early on it turns out like having Noah Syndergaard at the top of your rotation it's really exciting sure sure and a healthy Matt Harvey is interesting um 
I think the stuff with Zach Wheeler is really fascinating, him getting optioned down to AAA and everything and what goes on there, because I think that's a really interesting trade tip come midseason if they're like in contention for the NLE spot. Like, do they move an arm or two? Or like even Harvey, um, who I've been calling future Baltimore Orioles starting pitcher Matt Harvey for a while now. But <laughs> six year deal, right? Yeah, like it's happening. Just go ahead <laughs> you and feel it. it. Totally yeah. feel it. Well, they're gonna lose Machado and they're gonna do something like that. There's yes. no question. You're totally right. Yep. <laughs> he is future Baltimore Oriole Matt Harvey. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, I just think this is a team that's gonna be in the thick of things and it's just it's amazing that like a managerial change and just a healthy rotation just changes a lot of people's perception where you're like, okay, I can talk myself into this team. I could see them challenging the Nats and something the Nats don't want to deal with because they're in the last year of the Bryce Harper stuff. And this is really, this could be their last year as like a real, real contender in the NL. And um, I don't know. I think it's, it's interesting because like you said, the Phillies and the Braves are going to be better than people think. And they're already showing early signs. I mean, Acuna's not even up yet. And right, uh, exactly, exactly. We'll see what happens there. But, um, and they yeah. have the ability to make a deal like they'll, you know, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me to see them do like a Donaldson deal, like in the summer, like if the, if, 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 if for some reason, the summer, right. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for a good point. But like if the, you know, if they're, if they're 500 and they're in that, like, you know, that, that spot, uh, you know, because there's, there's thought that he's going to end up signing down there anyway mm-hmm. as a free agent. So like, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me to see them make a move like that because they've got depth and if they're doing well and it's, you know, they got the stadium and everything going and they're, they're ready. They're, they're ready to make their move in the next couple of years and they may as well pull the trigger when they can uh, for the next, you know, chipper. Um, you know, and I could, you could sort of see that. I, I don't know. I could see that coming. The Phillies, I think they're done. I think they've done what they're going to do. I don't see them making moves in the summer, but uh, the Braves I do. And I, I just think the division in, as a whole is going to be more, competitive than people have sort of you know figured it was going to be and from the Mets perspective you know for me as a fan it's been <laughs> it just shows you how much of a dork I am like I'm a I there's been points this over the last couple of weeks where like I'm afraid to write about the pitching staff because like things are so peaceful and upbeat and just smooth and you know everybody's just in their spot and even things are working out that you wouldn't expect to like you know Vargas gets hurt but you know what it snowed and it allowed them to move the rotation. And all of a sudden you have Lugo and Gazelman in the bullpen doing, you know, what they're doing and Vargas is going to come back. And meanwhile, you've got these two guys in the pen that can start and you've got Wheeler and AAA and Harvey looks good. And it's like, what is going on here? Like, why is everything, it's almost like things are too nice. And there's and not just not a lot. going to pick up on it. Cause I mean, yeah. pitching Sunday night, right? Like they're on ESPN. Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah. a lot of eyeballs are going to be on the Mets. I think. Well, that's weekend. the one that's, that's the start. That's the big one. You know, that's the thing. If he can go out there and give you six or seven, like he did the other night and, and grind even, and if he can, you know, it's almost funny. Like I almost think he'd get more publicity out of it and get more hype and, and momentum. If he has to grind his way through it, than if he blows people away, if he can go out there and just show that he can tough it out, and out duel the, the, the nationals on, on national TV like that. I think you're going to see like this, you know, the return of the dark night and all this nonsense. And like, I'm almost a little afraid. I was going to say, I don't know if you want go. that. That's yeah, like Harvey know. you want. Like, I think, no, but I a, think a new you know, leaf Harvey where it's like the Mickey Calloway stuff. It's interesting. I've looked him in the eyes and I've talked to him a little bit. Like you can see he's just, he's not the same dude. He gets it. He's been through, he's been through a lot. You know, and like, I know that sounds crazy. These guys are, you know, make tons of money and they do what they do. But like, the fact of the matter is this kid was on top of the planet, you know, five years ago and, you know, went through 
two really <laughs> difficult surgeries, one of which with this TOS, you know, with this rib removal, where like there was a point where I don't think he thought he'd ever pitch again, where he couldn't feel his hand. And like, you just got to be second guessing everything you've ever done and wondering. And like, he, he's been through a lot. And he's, he's a, I don't want to say a head case. It's not the right word. I just think he puts a lot of pressure on himself and he has a lot of expectations and he's been, you know, waiting for this moment. And here he is now having to prove himself. And I just think he's, I think he gets it. I think he understands where he's at. And I think a lot of that has to do with Callaway and Island who have really done a tremendous job of getting in his head and, you know, they spent a lot of time in spring training. And I think the other thing too, is his support of his teammates has been something that at least from my perspective during spring training was new, you know, the last few springs, he was really distant. You know, I, I can remember a few years ago where like, you know, some of the guys would go out and they would, you'd hear, you know, things, you know, the, some of the Mets pitchers are out to you know, dinner, they're hanging out somewhere. Meanwhile, Harvey's out with like his agent, you know, one of his, you know, sub agents and like John Franco and like somebody else, you know, and it's like, he's not part of the team, but he is. And it's like this weird relationship, but like, right. The way it is now, they're all on the same page. They're all supporting each other. These guys are behind him. You know, he there's a lot of pressure, fight. right? Cause he has DeGrom yeah. and Syndergaard well, in front of him. It's just like, it's not all his shoulders anymore. There's part of that, but I think they want him, you know, I think it, right. For that reason, I think they've got it. They're at a point where like a DeGrom can put his arm around Harvey and be like, come on, man. You know, it's not the other way around. It's not this, this other vibe that, that it was a few years ago. And, and, and so I feel like he's in a place where like he gets it, you know? And so regardless of how the media treats him, I just think Harvey's going to do his thing. And, you know, I give Island and Callaway, if it works, a ton of credit, a ton of credit. Yeah. And I mean, when Pedro Martinez says you have more talent than he did in his career, mm-hmm. like it's, uh, it's easy to see. It's not that true. Be... But... No, but uh, <laughs> it's high praise. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But I do think it's interesting to see how this pitching staff is already looking. Um, do you think Wheeler, Wheeler gets traded this summer? No. No. Okay. <clears throat> well, only, I mean, look, <laughs> he's in AAA. I mean, if, if he had that value, he'd be in the rotation, right? So, I think it comes down more to that. Um, well, I guess a broader question would be, do you think they move any of these arms at the deadline for a better bat? Like, and we haven't even talked, like we've been talking about this, uh, the Mets for I don't a while now so. on this podcast. And we haven't even brought up, you know, Cespedes, who has been great and hitting in two spot. Like he, is he a sneaky dark horse, like MVP candidate again? Hmm. Sneaky dark horse. Well, you know, when he, when he's in the race, no. Okay. Right. Nobody, nobody's going to go, Oh, Oh, I forgot. Cespedes. Like, I don't think it's that. I, I think it's more, um, can he stay healthy? Can he yeah. you know, do that? So like, uh, it, it's a, it's a situation like that. It's, you know, it's like anybody else out there. Um, I think if he's playing his games and he's out there, you know, five, six times a week, no one's going to, I mean, I don't think anybody should be surprised. Um, you know, if he's doing his thing, um, I don't think he's actually the MVP candidate on, on the team. I think that's the, the thing they they've got, you know, I, I feel like when Conforto comes back with that with Frazier and Cespedes around him and the way Callaway structure in the lineup of Conforto is healthy. I mean, I think he's, you know, a potential uh, you know, he's got more of that all around kind of star quality to him. I know Cespedes everybody gets excited about and he's got the sort of flash, but Conforto does, you know, the grind. You know, he's gonna do the day-to-day and and those sort of things, and I think accumulate sort of all around numbers in a way that's uh, the way baseball's trending, I think they're going to take a little bit more notice of. It's, it's. I love that ho- the MVP debate every year is kind of fascinating because it's like this tug and pull between, you know, 
the big numbers and then the sort, you know, it's the trout argument and everybody else. Um, yeah. You know, and so I just, to me, Conforto has a really good spot in this lineup and in the way he's going to sort of produce throughout the course of the season. Again, assuming he stays healthy, Cespedes has these legs, he's going to pace himself. Um, you know, I just, to me, I looked, I looked to Conforto is, is to me is sort of the centerpiece and in, in, in the, you know, the number three hitter and, 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 you know, that kind of a player on the team, but we'll see how it plays out. I mean, frankly, the, the MVP of the Mets, as we know, is the pitching again. It just keeps coming back to that. Are you worried about Conforto at all? No, um, I was. Cause they fast tracked the, him to the back into the. Yeah. You know what I had heard, what I had heard a couple during spring training, the talk was, they're going to slow play him because they want to make sure that he can take the dive. He can take the, you know, the hard hit, you know, if he's playing center field and he reaches for a fly ball and lands on that shoulder, you know, is it going to hold up because it's strength and ligaments and all that kind of stuff. And you don't really know those things until you do it. And he can look great in the cage and he can look great, you know, fielding a ball and throwing it and all that stuff. But until, you know, you're going full throttle and you crash into a wall, you know, how is your body going to take it? And, you know, how is his, his body going to hold up to fatigue after playing, you know, 10 straight games without an off day? Um, you know, I think that's, that was the bigger concern. But the fact that they're, I don't want to say rushing him back, but they don't seem to be as concerned as they were like in the off season. That says to me that either there's evidence that his shoulder is stronger, that things, you know, and I'm sure they've scanned him and I'm sure they've done things that tells them, I know they're doing a lot of biomechanical kind of, uh, you know, looking at their bodies and things this year. And they have the performance coach, uh, sports science guy, Jim Cavallini, that's doing a lot of stuff with them. So I'm, I'm sure they're on top there. Yeah, exactly. Staff, right? I'm sure they're on, absolutely. And I'm sure they're on top of, uh, you know, where he's at physically. And if they feel like he's ready, that to me says he's stronger than maybe where they expected and he can handle that. So yeah, not really. I mean, I, I, I shudder to say that I trust what they're doing, uh, given the last few seasons, but again, because they revamped so many different things and they're doing stuff in a, in more of an evidence-based way. Um, I do have a little bit of faith. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true. Huh? Well, that's good. Uh, Mets fans <laughs> yeah. have faith this year. There you go. That's you got to um, believe. Do you know who I do not have faith in? And this exactly. really hurts me. David Wright ever playing baseball again. Can someone yeah. please pull him aside? I can't read another New York Times sports story on David Wright fighting to get back on the field. I can't do it. Then don't read it. It's so sad. <laughs> I just I, no, I know, I know. But look, it's 2018. Uh, he's still trying. The fact that I, I understand. The fact of the matter is, right, he's under contract. They're getting any insurance money. They're doing their whole thing. Like, it is what it is. And... It's a difficult situation. I mean, he's his salary goes down over the next couple of years. So from a monetary standpoint, it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, my understanding and from what, what I've heard and just watching him out there, I mean, my feeling on this is that he's going to push himself or do what he has to do through the course of this season for one of two things. Either the Mets are in a pennant race and he can be on the roster in September and be a bench player and, you know, help out in some way, shape or form, or they're out of it and he can play in September and, you know, have an at bat and take his bow and do his thing and, you know, whatever. And I just, my, my feeling is that this will be his last season, but you know, you never know. I, I, who knows how long he's going to push it, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't, I think the days of seeing him play anything more than 60 games in a season <laughs> is probably long gone. And that's sad to say. And I think in his heart of hearts, he knows that, but 
you know, he's got a little baby who's adorable. Um, you know, his wife uh, travels. They travel a lot. You know, he lives in St. Lucie's in L.A. He's in, he's in Virginia. He can bounce around. The, kid, the baby's young enough that they can do their thing. You know, if his kids were older, his kid was older in school, I would imagine he'd retire by now. But, like, lifestyle being what it is and money where it's at for them, I think he can continue to play and try and see what he can do. And, you know, if it works out, great. If not, my, my guess is he goes out into the sunset at the end of this year. But we'll see. I hope so because I mean he was awesome for years. Yeah, and it just, sure, I understand. It just sucks like the spinal stenosis stuff and everything oh, it's else. Terrible. Like, I I can't imagine how frustrating it's been for him the last couple of years. But ah, it's um, Mattingly. It's like Mattingly all over. You know, for brutal. for yeah, it's just you know, and it stinks. And like, it's funny. Like he and I bond a little bit over back stuff because like I have all kinds of back issues too, and you know, it's, it just stinks. Cause like you could tell it's just like, it is such the focal point of his life. It's not, you know, whether or not he's going to hit 320 versus 300 and, you know, win a gold glove or whatever. It's like, can I get up off of this stretch without, you know, pulling another muscle? Like it's just, and it just stinks, but that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the body. What are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to do? Um, last thing before we have to go. So it's early. We are recording this on April fourth based on your early returns is <laughs> do you think the Mets are a playoff team this this fall uh i do i don't think they're going to be okay. in, you know, i think they're going to win 80 percent of their games like they have uh so far but uh yeah i mean i i think i think they are i really do um you know again i think it comes down to how they handle the, the braves and the phillies um and i think a lot of it has to do with how things play out uh, in, in specifically in the NL West, because that has the makings of a bit of a, you know, a, a um, well, wild West, pardon the pun. Uh, but those four teams, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, the Giants and the Dodgers, like, I, you know, it's just really hard to tell how things are going to shake with them in the wild card in the division. But like how that goes, I think those teams will beat up on, on each other enough that if the Mets can handle, like I say, the Marlins, uh, or, or I should say the Phillies and the Braves, I think they'll be fine. You know, I just it's I find it hard to believe that one of the two wild card spots won't come out of the NL East. Um, hopefully, it goes to the Nationals and the Mets win the division. But uh, if not, you know, I, I think one of the two of them can pull that off. All right. Well, I'm going to be excited to watch it. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm just in a great baseball mood right now. Um, it's going to be a fun year. I think they're going to be. I think people are pretty think down. So too. Like a third of the league is actively tanking, but um, Jay. <laughs> When JT Romuto is the brave starting catcher in June, I think it'll be even more fun. Good point. Good point. That'll be fun. Uh, Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was a lot of fun catching up. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Well, we can find you on Twitter at Matthew Cerrone. We can go to your website, MatthewCerrone.com. We can read you at SMYTV's Mets blog. So go do all that. Give him a follow and read his great work. So, Matt, we will have to touch base again soon. Thanks, Chase. Take it easy. Thanks, Matt. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often and also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. 
Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.